From Nashville, Tennessee, Southwestern Family of Companies welcomes you to the Action Catalyst. Each week, we share insights and inspiration for movers and shakers in the world of business. Our goal is to help you increase your self-discipline, overcome procrastination, and help you to take action on all the things that really matter. Doing the little things right. That is what we are talking about today. Do you do the little things right? How good are you at it? And how consistent are you at it? And we have one of the masters here today. His name's Andy Andrews, good friend of mine, mentor, um, truly someone who has made a massive difference in my life. And he has a new book called The Little Things. Um, I do want to let you know there's a couple little tiny scratches that we couldn't edit out, just a little like electronic uh, scratches in the interview, but it's not it's not very bad. It's actually a really high-quality recording, but just want to let you know and, and apologize in advance. Um, very rare, and we had, some, we had some challenges connecting with Andy, and uh, when we finally got connected, it was mostly smooth. But anyways, so hopefully you'll forgive us for just a few little scratches, um, but it really isn't bad. You, you, you hopefully barely even notice. Um, but... I wanted to let you know that. The other thing is I want to start inviting you to tweet to our guests. And Andy's uh, Twitter handle is at Andy Andrews, just so that they can hear from you and let them know that you appreciate them and what you learned from them. And also so that I can see. And so if you'll use hashtag ACP, then I can get to meet you because a lot of times I don't have any idea who is listening to the show. But if you tweet and you use that hashtag, then I will start seeing it, which will be really, really fabulous. So use the hashtag ACP and I'll start uh, following that. But it is a powerful show about doing the small things. After we hear from Andy, I will, of course, come back, share with you what I took away from the interview and from his newest work, and then also uh, a little bit of a challenging call uh, for some things that I think will help you increase your income and directly uh, enhance your ability to lead and influence and make more money. So you don't want to miss that at the end. It's another great show. Thank you so, so much for being here. We'll get started just after this. This episode is sponsored by Southwestern Coaching. Southwestern Coaching has helped over 11,000 people increase their incomes by over 25% on average. As a successful salesperson, you know the importance of increasing your sales, but sometimes you might just need a little extra push and accountability to meet your goals and grow your business. Southwestern Coaching will help you increase your income through one-on-one sales and leadership coaching tailored specifically to your needs. Together, we will elevate sales. To schedule your free one-on-one business action planning session with a Southwestern coach, go to www.southwesternconsulting.com forward slash action catalyst. The man that you're about to hear from is very near and dear to my heart, not only because I am a friend and, uh, well, first a fan of him, but if it were not for Andy Andrews and for his business partner, Robert, uh, I may not be here right now. I may not be doing what I am doing. They have been personal mentors to me and were really the pivotal point in a story that is longer than we have time for here. But so these guys, I love these guys. 
uh, like I said, I'm a fan first and just a friend. And Andy uh, has written two of my all-time favorite books, The Traveler's Gift and The Noticer. He is a multi-New York Times bestselling author. Uh, and it's it's he's one of the best speakers in the world. Um, I, lose, I lose speaking engagements to him regularly. Oh, gosh. Oh, <laughs> gosh. That's not true. Um, but he's spoken for four of the U.S. Uh, presidents, and it's been four years since Andy has had a book come out, and he has a new book that is just um, coming out. It's called The Little Things, Why You Really Should Sweat the Small Stuff. So, Andy, welcome to the show. Thank you, buddy. I am I am so honored to be here with you. You're, you're very kind. You, that's very nice things to say, and only half of them are true, but I appreciate them very much. <laughs> so let's talk about the little things. I, I love the premise of this, although I will say it's, it's kind of counterintuitive because I think, you know, you hear you know, for the last several years, people say, don't sweat the small stuff. Don't sweat the small stuff. It's right. kind of become conventional wisdom, but, but you're saying that really we should think about that differently. Yeah. You know, I, I, listen, the, the book was written for a, a reason. And the reason that I really wrote the book, I mean, I, I know if people say this is the first one in four years, well, it's the first time in four years. I felt like I had something to say. Okay. I mean, really different to say because, you know, the publishers, they want you to do a book a year, do a book every nine months. We got to work on your brand. And I'm like, yeah, well, my brand won't be worth much if all I'm doing is rehashing stuff that everybody else does. And, and so I, I, I had a time in my life, they really started working closely with some clients and different people to get, I wanted to get some unbelievable results because I'm a normal person. You know, I, I'm not, and I don't have a Super Bowl ring. I don't have a gold medal. I, I, I you know, I, I wasn't the hero of some national disaster that everybody remembers. And I ended up on the cover of time. I, I'm just, I'm a, I'm a dad, I'm a husband. And so to, to really catch anybody's attention or to figure out why somebody should listen to me or read what I wrote, I, I knew I had to have some unbelievable results. So I really dug in and started uh, really trolling the edges of, of conventional wisdom uh, to find some stuff. And, and I have, um, we developed some unbelievable results. I actually have my hand in the last nine college football national championships in a row, you know, working with the coaches wow. and stuff. I, I have a, a, a company that I, uh, that had 19 years, uh, to get to 5.4 billion. I worked with them for a year and in, in that year they did 11.2. Uh, the next year they did 17.4 billion. And, and so great, great results, but. It was little tiny things. And the reason that I wrote the book was I realized one day that all this stuff that I had used to help these people do this, none of it had been written down. It was kind of in my head. And I and my wife and I have two boys, 14 and 17, Austin and Adam. And I thought, if I croak, I it, they're not going to know how this happened. Hmm. You know? And so I, I kind of quietly panicked. And... And started writing. I wanted to detail it because because it is not something people stumble along and find. I, I really went after the information because I looked at things that people believed 
and tried to find out and tried to say, let me let me let me confirm this or we're going to find out how you can make something vastly different happen. And truly, most of society is a big picture type of thing. We people you hear people say, well, we're after the big picture. You know, we want a leader who, who really has a grasp on the big picture. But what you really better understand is that every big picture you ever create is is created with little bitty pieces. You know, the Mona Lisa was created by Da Vinci, and it it was painted with the smallest brush that a master had ever used to paint a painting. And you can look at that picture today, that that portrait through a magnifying glass at the loop, and you cannot discern brush strokes because it was such tiny little movements. And so if you look at the analogy of your business or your life or your family, you're after something. You want to create something, and you want your business or your life to be a masterpiece. And at the end of it all, at the end of the day, whether you have created a masterpiece or a disaster, it will have been done one tiny brush stroke at a time. Hmm. Well, I and I I think uh, the that that's it's in some ways it's encourage in some ways it's discouraging to hear because you go oh my gosh like who has like time to sit there with a teeny tiny paintbrush and do a bazillion little tiny things. On the other hand, though, it's kind of encouraging because it's like oh man, life isn't about all this huge stuff. If I'm just sort of excellent every single day. Then it adds up. Is that basically? Yeah, yeah. And see, and the point is not that you would have to uh, necessarily dial into all of those things. The the point is, you are doing those things anyway. To to one degree or another, it is the little things that are affecting the big picture in your life. I, I'll give you. I'll give you a for instance. Let's say that you have a child. That uh, and that that child wants to be. Uh, let's say let's say that child uh, wants to be the uh, se- a senior vice president, a manager of a division of a major corporation by the age of thirty. All right, and so so this child kind of latches onto this idea at the age of. 11, let's just say. Yeah, it's funny. Everybody, we ask him, what do you want to be? I want to be a football player. I want to be a a baseball player. But Billy always said he wanted to head a major corporation. It was very odd. And so, but we, you know, because of this, we knew that there was a, there was a a pathway that he could take. You know, there's, there's, uh, there's universities that have uh, business schools and there's better business schools and you can get a degree and a a doctorate and business. So, so anyway, Billy went through this process and he, you know, got his master's and he became a da 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 and he was going up the corporate life. But yeah, yeah, you know, Billy just never, he just never could get over the hump. And it was just really luck of the draw. Uh, you know, there were other people that were, you know, he was passed over and they got. Now, see, that's the story on Billy. That's the story that everybody tells. But the truth about Billy is that his parents never really paid that much attention to manners. And and all the way through the process as an adult, see the parents, they were they were focused on raising a great kid, and Billy was a great kid. 
But there were some other parents who were focused on raising a kid who became a great adult. And that was a different pathway they took. And that included some little things that Billy's parents didn't pay attention to. Now, this is only one little, I mean, because, in fact, I don't even get into that much in this book. It's mentioned, okay, but but it's, it's not even gotten into much. I'm just giving you an example that, that you can have all the degrees in the world. You can all have all the answers in the world. But there are a few little things that if you skip those little things, they'll derail the whole project. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, manners is a good one, right? It's like no matter how smart you are, if you can't get along with people, then that is going to impede at some point your ability to to kind of like, you know, advance. So what are like, what are some of the specific little things like I noticed? I mean, you mentioned like this was this is a pretty powerful that nine of the last college football champions were connected in some way to your writing and your teaching. What are some examples of maybe some, some of the little things that you go, here's some of the things that champions like that do that most people don't do. Here's the things that they sweat that most people don't sweat. Okay. Here's a, here's a great, a, a great example, Rory. And that is, and this, this is not just in, in football, but in any part of life, if you look at at uh, football as a metaphor for life or for business or family, everybody competes. We all compete. And curiously, nobody thinks about this, but we all compete the same way. It, it, you know, the football, they have the rules. They compete the same way. And and in insurance, you know, if you if you go say, hey, I'm shopping insurance for this car, just tell me the guy would tell you the history of the company, he'll tell you the price that they have for the you know that particular car and the and the product that they're offering and the you know the length of that and the, how they serve. Then you go to another insurance guy and you tell him the same thing. If you listen closely you'll realize he's saying the same thing the other guy said. It may be different terms. It may be a slightly different price, but it's the same thing because they're competing in the same way. There's not a football coach in America from mini mites to the NFL that at some point in the season doesn't say to his team, today I want everything you got. I want if you can give me everything from the snap to the whistle, all your heart, your emotion, your your strength, just from the snap to the whistle. I if you give me everything. Well, it sounds really good, but the coach on the other sideline just said the same thing. And while it while it is true that you have to be good from the snap to the whistle, whatever industry you're in, you have to be good at the fundamentals. Whatever you're competing in, you've got to be good at the fundamentals. But on a, on a backup and on a, on a lift you above the playing surface, and I want you to look at something here. While while you have to be good at the fundamentals, and while it is true that you got to be good from the snap to the whistle. If you could figure out a way to legitimately compete from the whistle to the next snap while everybody else is just standing around, you'll run them off the field. See, what I do with these little things, what you are able to do with these little things is to learn how to compete in a way that your competition doesn't know there's a game going on. We all know, like, for instance, here's a great for instance that football fans will love this, but uh, we all know about momentum and shifts and how 
how that the mental aspect of the game and, you know, whether you think you can or whether you think you can't, either way, you're right. And what you believe about the other team and what you believe about yourself, it, it has a bearing. Okay. I noticed, and, and I won't tell you which team this was with, uh, obviously, but but I noticed one time, and I, and I was talking to a coach, and I said, Coach, have you noticed how the guys line up at the first of the game versus how they line up on defense at the end of the game? He said, do you mean the, the, the specific plays? I said, no. I mean, just how they look. He said, well, are they tireder at the end of the game? I said, well, everybody, I said, everybody's tired at the end of the game. I said, but how do they look? He said, I don't know. I said, well, let me, let me, let me show you. I said, at the first of the game, everybody looks like this. And I kind of leaned in. I, I hung my arms down and wiggled my fingers. Like, I just can't wait to run across there and just hit you. Right. I said, that's what they do between plays. They're they're you know kind of loosening up and they're they're looking like they just can't wait. I said, now you get to the the end of the third quarter, you get to the fourth quarter, and between plays, they all stand there with their hands on their hips. And I said, it it, it is a common body language. I said, so what happens if what happens psychologically if the offense looks over and the defense, they look the same. I mean, they're, they've, the offense, they've played all game. They've played against these guys all game. But, oh, my God, these guys look like they're just getting started. These guys look like they're, they haven't even done anything yet. I mean, what, what does it wear? And so there's all these little bitty tiny things. I don't care what you're, I don't care what you're doing. I don't care what you're in. I don't care what business you're in. I don't care where you are. Little, Pretty things make massive differences. And so when you talk about compete in a way that your competition doesn't know there's a game going on. Right. Is that you're saying that's like it's the in you're competing on the in-between plays, not just during the play, but the in-between plays. Right. It's to, to, to understand what really makes the difference. You know, it, you know, I worked for years going and speaking to, to big conferences of salespeople and and uh, for years and years and years and working with real estate people. And, I, and finally, I had I had a company. I got to work with a company for a year. And I worked with one as a national real estate company. I worked with one of their states right in the middle of their 49 brothers and sisters, right in the middle of all their competition and worked with one of their states for a year. And they increased their sales 400 percent. It's the best I've ever done. I mean, I'm just not just throwing that number out there, but it's a little over 400 percent increase in their sales, and it's the best that that I've ever done with anybody. And 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 get this, Rory, I don't know anything about real estate. I don't really know anything about it. And and so you you would say, well, how how is that even possible? Well, here here's the thing: when you you've got to find out. It's just like with a coach. It's like with a coach. Everybody's selling. Okay, coach, who are you selling to? And he said, what do you mean? Between the snap and the whistle, who are you selling to? You know, you're selling to the other guys, the other team. You're selling to the officials, right? Are you selling to the officials? He said, well, am I? I said, yeah, you are. I mean, how many times have you heard them say they can call holding on any play they want to call it on? And if they like you, they're less likely to call it on you than if they don't like you. 
And so wouldn't it make sense to, to, to cultivate an atmosphere even before you ever show up at the stadium? You know, I mean, these guys, who are they? You got to know who they are. Well, in the SEC, the average official, the average age is 56. They're overwhelmingly white collar, overwhelmingly involved in youth leagues at, in their hometowns, overwhelmingly have one teenager. You got to know who these, these people are. And so what do they like? What don't they like? And, and it turns out you can find out that if, if they are watching your team, over the long haul and you are a disciplinarian and if you you know if some kid fails a drug test and you kick him off the team and he never comes back versus one kid fails a drug test and you give him a a, a, he doesn't start the game but the second series he's in there with everybody else you know these guys don't like that and so they're they're more tempted, you know, when when they're out on the field, you've got one group of guys that just that uh, has that thug look and has that thug action, and they throw the ball in the ground when they get through. And you got another group that, when they score a first down or score a touchdown, they take the ball to the official and hand it to him. I mean, come on, we're all humans here. What do you think? And so. It's a way of competing. And so in real estate, I looked at these guys and and that was my that was my thing. I'm gonna work with them for a year. And I said, I don't really understand this. I said, so tell me how it works. And they said, Well, you know, if you sell it, you make money. I just kind of all commission. And I said, I said, okay, so everybody just out. Yes. Yeah, so I said, so everybody just out there selling everything. And I said, well, not really. You know, it's a listing thing. There's more to it. And I said, okay, so tell me about the listing thing. And I said, well, you know, you list a property. And if you list a property and you sell the property, you get 100% of the commission. But if you have the property listed, and somebody else sells it, you still get 50% of the commission because you you listed the property. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, that's what we got to do then. We just got to list all the properties. And they were like, oh, well, that's easier said than done. But in essence, it's what we did. And it was fairly easy to do once everybody understand, uh, once everybody began to understand why people list the properties. And so so this is very simple. I'll tell you this very quickly. Think about this. It, if you're going to list a property, if you're just this average person out there and you're going to sell your house, or you're going to sell a property, how does the average person decide who gets to list their property? Do they go on uh, and, and form a graph and take the tri-county area, every real estate person in the tri-county area, put them in the machine and start to do the numbers on them, who had this and who sold the most, and the closed and closed, and then spit out 100 people, then run the matrix again, then come out with 10, and then personally interview the 10, then come out with the three. I mean, is that how you do it? No. I'll tell you exactly how the average person decides who gets to sell their property. It's their buddy who sells real estate. Right. That's who it is. Okay, so so when you ask somebody, say, okay, so who's who's listing your property here? Well, he is. Really? So he's like the best in the area? Uh, well, no. So he's like on a hot streak now? Mm, not really. <laughs> but you're going to list his, you're going to let him list your, your property? Friend. Yeah, and he says, well, you know, I, I really hadn't got any choice. You know, this is the guy that two years ago, he, he, came over at 2 o'clock in the morning and kept my kids when I took my wife to the hospital. I mean, Mm. he took my kids to to school the next day, packed their lunch. I hadn't got any choice. I couldn't, I wouldn't dare let anybody else list my property. And I said, okay, so what you're saying to me is that in reality, 
a couple of years ago at two o'clock in the morning, this guy was competing for your business in a way the other real estate people in the area didn't even know there was a game going on. Mm. Okay, so if you can understand how that happens, you know, uh, on accident, you can make it happen on purpose. And you got to understand that no matter the industry, you are the product. How can you become valuable to other people? There are little bitty things that you can do every day that can make your business, that can make your life just absolutely blossom. And most people would not even think that it's part of what you would normally consider business. So... Okay, you said if you can understand how that can happen on accident, then you can make it happen on purpose. And so part of this, when you talk about the little things, this is like the game, it's like the game outside the game. I mean, does it does it essentially always boil down to relationships with people? Like, is that where, it, uh, like you in both those examples, you've got the referee and you have, or it's just like interpersonal respect it, and it, your reputation? It boils down to this. It, it doesn't necessarily boil down to relationships, even though it turns out that way a lot of times. What it boils down to is value. Value. Hmm. How valuable are you to this person? Because I can, I could show you, Instance after instance after instance of somebody that they do business with a certain store or they do business with a certain thing, and yet they don't have any relationship there. It was something that was created value for their friend. You know, it's like, I don't care. I know. I know there's a Walmart. I know I can get it cheaper, but I go there straight. Let me tell you something. That lady that owns that store several years ago that my grandmother needed, they did something for my grandmother. I will never forget that. And it don't matter to me that I can get it for 50 cents cheaper at Walmart. I will always go to that store because of what that lady did for my grandmother. See, there's no relationship there, but we're showing respect. We're showing gratitude. We're showing uh, uh, loyalty. And and it is a value that you, you almost can't put a, 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 a price tag on it. But it's the a value... That- it's the value that you deliver for other people. Like even with the referee, it's like if you have a disciplined team on the field, then you're delivering value for them because they're not being obnoxious. They're not they're not being cheap shots. Like they're playing the game the way the game was meant to be played, and that helps the official. Yeah, and think about this. Think about the official. The official, if if you if you know who the officials are, if if this guy has a, think about this guy having a 14 year old son at home that he is dealing with the son on certain things. And and this kid, you know, likes this certain team. And is it a help for that dad, who's the official, if that team comports itself in a certain way? Or does it hurt that dad's efforts if that team comports itself in another way? And, and so... You know, this dad can be out there and subconsciously be very grateful to this team for the 
for the examples this team is giving him to talk to his son about or can be so aggravated that this team is winning. You know, here these guys are acting like bozos and these guys are breaking the law and these guys are doing stuff and they're winning anyway. And now I know my 14-year-old is going to kind of throw that in my face next week. And I mean, you can just see it, man. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like, and so some of that is a value that you deliver directly for other people, like coming back to the realtor example. But some of it is just value you contribute to the world by doing living right, being integritous, doing things the right way. Yeah, little bitty things. It's like think think about this. Here's a, here's a different, just going a totally different direction, but still kind of in a sports thing. You know, Michael Phelps uh, is a big deal because he won eight. Go medals. You know, seven had been done before. Mark Spitz won seven, but he, but Michael Phelps won eight. And, uh, and one of the eight, you could say the eighth one, <laughs> one of them was won a gold medal. He won a gold medal by one one hundredth of a second. One one hundred. Now, I want you to think about this. Talk about a little thing. One one hundredth of a second is faster than a blink of an eye. It's faster than a hummingbird can flap its wings one time. Uh, a hundredth of a second is faster than a bolt of lightning. But people think of one one hundredth of a second as something that is tacked on to the end or something that is put at the beginning or something that is in in a particular race or in a particular. But but here's here's the thing. Where did that one one hundredth of a second, where did it come from? You could make the case that that one one hundredth of a second came from one more sip of coffee that morning, three hours before the race. That that one one hundredth of a second came from five more minutes of a nap two days before you could make the case that it came from the addition of a thought while he's standing there about to leap into the water. You could make the case that it came from the deletion. You, 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 could, you could make the case that one one-hundredth of a second came from the absence of a negative thought during the race. Because, you know, you know, scientists are on the verge of proving that thought has mass and so you could you could make the case that the absence of a negative thought just one little uh, right in the middle of a stroke could take one one hundredth of a second off that you could argue that and so little things and and you know that particular race as soon as the race was over speedo gave him a check for 1 million dollars he gave it to charity but but i'm just saying you, you could make the argument that that 1 100th of a second was worth a million dollars mhm but it didn't happen at that one one hundredth of a second had happened in all of the seconds and all of the days and all of the moments. Right. And all of the thoughts leading up until that. Right. Time. And so the point is, where is the little things? Where's the little thing in your life? And 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 what what I do in the book is take you into different areas. And I, and I, I'll tell you, I'm really excited about this book, Rory, because this is, you know, this is not stuff that people have heard before. And I'm explaining in a different way. There are some things in this book you ain't never heard before. Mm-hmm. Well, I 
Love it. Uh, we have gone long, as I knew that we probably would. But hey, I'm I'm taking advantage of every second I can <laughs> to get free free coaching here directly from my man, like Andy Andrews, uh, live. Um, I do have one other question for you before we do that, Andy. Um, so the book I mentioned to you all, the book is called The Little Things. It is coming out right now by the time that you hear this, why you really should sweat the small stuff. Where do you want people to go to connect with you, Andy, or to learn about the book? Yeah, well, they, you know, they can get the book at, at any major bookstore, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, any any bookstore. Um and then connect with me on andyandrews.com. I do a, a podcast every week too. It's not as good as yours, but I, you know, I do one. And um, I would love to have you and, and uh, we'd love to uh, connect andyandrews.com. Yes, buddy. Well, I'm sure we can we can work something out there on that. But the um, okay, so here's my last question for you, Andy. Okay. So, this is very compelling, right? It's and it's it's very ubiquitous in the Ooh, sense that that's I can a nice see. Word. You've been reading again, hadn't you? <laughs> <laughs> right, like it applies if you're if you're a football player or you're a real estate agent. Like I I, I see I see the transference. Um, so my question is, if somebody is out there right now and they're listening to what you're saying, and they go, "Crap, it is about the little things." I'm not doing any of the little things right. If somebody held up a magnifying glass to my life and they saw all the little things I was doing, they would know that I'm not doing them right. What would you say to that person? You can change this in a heartbeat. There is a, I can't remember which chapter it is, but there is a chapter on change that uh, you've never read anything like it before. I, I was asked to speak about change for years and years and years and years. And I went in and I said the same things that we have all heard over and over again. And yet, every time I'd be asked back, I, they'd ask me to talk about change again. Was, oh, we're going through some changes. Well, we got some changes coming down. Well, you know, things aren't like they were. And, and over and over again. And I realized, man, we're just evidently not very good at this. <laughs> and and so I I really got into it, and I discovered something very odd uh, about change and about what we believe about change and how change really happens and how quickly it can happen. And and I'm going to tell you something. If you if you're looking at yourself right now and you're thinking, man, I'm having a hard time. The thing I want you to know now is that. I don't care what you have believed about yourself in the past. You know, you could take a blind person to an elephant and say, tell me what this animal is like and tell me how it can be used. And after 10 minutes, a blind person might say, well, you know, an elephant is uh, is very tall. It's very wide. It's flat. It's It could be used as a barrier. It could be used as a wall. Well, that's true. It's not the truth. Until you got to the bottom line about an elephant, until you knew everything about an elephant, you couldn't possibly know the truth about an elephant, and you couldn't possibly figure out all the ways an elephant could be used. Well, the same is true about you. You know, the things that you may have decided about you, the things that others may have decided about you, they may be true, but I'm telling you, they are not the truth. People believe perspective is how you think. 
And so how you think about a certain situation, the glass is half full, uh, or, or you, you can think the glass is half empty. That's your perspective on the glass. Well, that's true. But the glass, the glass is what the glass is. It is what it is. The perspective is how you choose to think about what it is. And how you choose to think about what that glass is spins your life in one direction with opportunities, with people who want to be around you, or it spins your life into another direction with people who would rather not be around you. And, um, you know, there's not a lot of value there, and you just can't seem kind of sad, and so you don't get a lot of opportunities because there's not a lot of people. Hey, listen, but the glass... The glass is what the glass is. And the perspective is what you choose to think. Your perspective about yourself is about to change. But you have to dig in and you have to see some little things that other people have not yet seen. My friends, uh, The Little Things Make the Difference. That's the book, The Little Things. You can go find that anywhere or head to andyandrews.com. My friend, thank you for the constant source of inspiration that you have been, uh, not only for me, but for millions of people over the years. And and we feel honored to just have a chance to learn from you and so grateful for everything you bring to the world. I wish you all the best. Thank you. Thank you. It's all about the little things things. Kind of a fresh perspective on that because you have probably heard of the book, Don't Sweat the Small Stuff. And I think I think there's good, there's great messages to both here. I don't think they're actually really contradictory at all. But what Andy is talking about here is, you know, doing the things that you know you should be doing that you don't want to do, doing the things that other people aren't willing to do, doing, doing the things when nobody is around, which is really what we're always, always talking about. So I want to uh, go through with the mental highlighter and share with you. These were the things that I took about. So first of all, this was so powerful to me when he said, learn to play the game that your competition doesn't even know is going on. Learn to play the game that your competition doesn't even know is going on. By the way, what I want to encourage us to do is do some shout outs and let um, our our guests know that we are... Um, you know, following them. And, um, you know, so if you're on Twitter, Twitter, um, you know, put some of these, put some of these tweets out there so that Andy knows you're listening. And I want to know too, that's kind of how I can see who is listening is, um, if you're tweeting about things that you hear and his Twitter handle is at Andy Andrews. So it's an easy one. Um, but I thought that was such a great line. Learn to play the game that your competition doesn't even know is going on. The other thing that I loved that Andy talked about was playing the, the game that happens in between plays. Playing the game that's happening in between plays. Right? I think about that applies to so many things. It's, it's kind of like, you know, if you're in sales, there's certainly what happens when you're on a sales call or you're in a sales presentation, but the real game is the mental game that happens between one call and the next call. I mean, if you're working out, okay, like, you know, if you're training for a, a marathon or whatever, or you're, you're training for a fitness competition or just trying to lose weight, yeah, there, there's a game that's being played when you're in the gym. 
and it's hitting it hard when you're there. But there's a whole nother game that's happening in between, which is what are you eating? What are you drinking? How are you sleeping? What are all the things that are happening in between the plays? And I just, I think that's just such a powerful idea that we always think about how do we perform when it's game time? How do we think, how do we perform when it's showtime? But there is this whole game that is played in between the plays. And I don't think that I've been conscious enough about that. And I don't think that's been a salient enough focus for me. And so I think, I think that was really, really huge. Um, at one point, too, he talked about ultimately it comes down to the value you deliver to other people. And I really, I love that. In fact, I just finished reading a book um, by Bob Berg, who we've had on the show called The Go-Giver. It's actually one of his older books. It's by him and John David Mann. And John David Mann is an old old friend of mine as well. And it's it's one of my favorite books of all time. I mean, it is so good. And I, I'm just reading it. I just finished it for the first time. And you at these high levels of abundance and prosperity, uh, you, you, you see this philosophy with people that it's about all the value you deliver to other people and that your, your income is a reflection of what you do for other people. Your achievements are a reflection of the value you provide to others. And we think about income as like, okay, accomplishing more for myself or growing or you know, doing things that advance me. And certainly there's some things like in the space of perf- personal development where that applies, right? You're, you're sort of growing yourself, but really it's about the value you bring to other people. And it's like income has no choice, but to be a reflection of, of that. And Andy was talking about that here with the story about the, you know, the referee and whatnot. And, and I think what was, what was fascinating to me was realizing how indirectly we sometimes provide value to people, right? Like carrying ourselves like professionals while we're on the field helps that referee go home and be a better dad and be a better father. And we may never not, we may not know that we, right. It's not like we go, Oh, well, I'm, I'm here to help this referee be a better father. That never occurs to us. Right. We're not even thinking about that. We're just thinking about playing the game, but by being excellent, by doing things right, by living with integrity, by, by, by living well, we inherently are providing value to other people and by being generous and, and being focused on service. And I think, I think those are really, really cool. And then at the end, when Andy started talking about perspective and, you know, do you see the glass half full or half empty? It doesn't change what this, the state is of the glass. It's all about your choice. And we've talked about that before here on the show that the definition for attitude that we offer is attitude is the way you choose to see things, the way you choose to see things. You don't really, it's not choosing whether or not, you know, it's not about like, like the, the, the glass is what the glass is. You can choose to see it as half full or you can choose to see it as half empty. And that perspective makes all the difference. In fact, it reminds me of a very old story. I don't even know if this is a, a Mort Utley original, which is where I heard it from, but there's a, 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 man named Mort, uh, Mort Utley, who was a legendary speaker in the National Speakers Association and in the Hall of Fame. And I actually got to meet his wife once when I was younger. And um, he was a legend and used to speak at sales school for Southwestern. And, and he used to tell this story about these two twin boys. And he was said that, you know, this, this couple had these two twin boys and they were twins, but they were completely opposite. 
one of them was an eternal optimist and he always saw the bright side of things and was always sort of positive and uplifting. And then the other one was always negative. He was like this never ending pessimist, just always saw the bad side of things. And so they took him to this therapist and, uh, the therapist said, um, okay, well, I, I have an idea. Let's, let's run an experiment. And so he took the two boys and he separated them and he put them in two different rooms. And he said, I, I think I, the therapist was saying, hey, I, I think I have a way that we can sort of level these, these two out a little bit. And so he took the, the boy that was the pessimist and he put him in a room that had like every toy you could imagine. It had you know, video games and candy and uh, all the best games and the best books, like anything that a kid could ever want. And he's like, let's take this boy, the pessimist, and let's put him into this room where, you know, everything he would ever want is in there. And then they said, okay, let's take the optimist, all right, this boy, and we're going to put him in a room. And in this room is just filled to the ceiling with nothing but manure, just manure, like a big, gigantic pile of the manure. And, and so the therapist says, okay, let's just leave the boys here for a little bit and let's come back and let's check on them. So they, they go away and a, a little while passes by. And so the, the family, the, the mom and the dad and the therapist go back to, and to check on the pessimist. And they open the door and it's like, you know, 30 minutes later or something. And the little boy is sitting in the middle of the room with a, with a frown, you know, a frowny face. And they look at him and they say, you know, like, Johnny, what are you, what, what are you doing? Why didn't you, why, why didn't you ride on that skateboard? And he said, oh, I was afraid I would, I would fall and skin my knee. And they said, well, well what about the candy? Why didn't, why, why didn't you eat the candy? And he said, oh, I was, I was afraid I would get a stomach ache. And all of these things that were in this room, he never even touched. And they said, wow, he's in, he's in really bad shape. He's, uh, he, he's not doing so well. So they said, well, let's go check on his brother. And so they go into the other room. And they open the door. This, you know, this room is filled with manure. And when they open the door, this kid, the brother, he's in there just like completely buried inside. And he is slinging it and he's throwing it. And everywhere there's manure flying. And he's in the middle of this thing just going crazy. And, they, and, and they're like, whoa, 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 Charlie, like, what are you doing? What, 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 what are you doing in the middle of that manure? And he looks up at him and he says, with all this manure, there's got to be a pony in here somewhere. <laughs> and I just love that story. And, and sometimes in life, you have to wade through a lot of it. And Mort Utley was telling us, he was making the connection, right, that sometimes you have to go through a lot of manure to find the ponies, but the ponies are out there. And um, it's just such a good example and a good story. Uh, and that was where I very, that was the very first story I'd ever heard that sort of taught me about perspective and, and attitude is that you, you, you get to choose the way that you see things. And I think what Andy's message is here, what he is talking about is so important and so powerful because that attitude, that choice is It's those little things, those little moments, those little thoughts, like he was talking about Michael Phelps, one positive thought or one negative thought can make the difference. And doing those little things, it's, it's all about, you know, when you look at being a professional, being a professional is all about the little things. It's, it's, it's taking care of business. It's, it's, 
doing the things that professionals do. In fact, Southwestern used to have another saying. We used to say, if you want to be paid like a professional, you need to act like one. If you want to be paid like a professional, you need to act like one. And what is a professional? A professional is a, does a series of small things right. Professionals study until they become expert. Professionals work hard even when they don't feel like it. Professionals execute the game plan even when things feel hopeless. Professionals work consistent hours. They create consistent processes. Professionals have a proper and a positive attitude. Professionals are persistent. Professionals master their craft. Professionals invest in their own personal development. Professionals innovate. Professionals do not whine. Professionals take care of the details. Professionals do not make excuses. Professionals are consistent. Professionals do the little things right. And that is why professionals are extremely rare. And they are paid accordingly. So if you want to be paid like a professional, make sure that you are acting like one. And acting like one is all about doing the little things. Well, that about wraps up the Action Catalyst podcast for this week. If you haven't yet, please log in to whatever your favorite medium is to listen to the show and both rate this podcast and leave a comment as that helps new prospective listeners determine if the show's really a good fit for them. If you enjoy this podcast, please make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and screenshot this episode to share with your friends on social media. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Action Catalyst and subscribe to our video podcast on YouTube. Thanks for listening.